Let me start with the question. I, I don't want any uh, open responses or hands raised or anything like that. Maybe this is something you could talk about with your group a little later on in the night. But what the question I want to ask is, when, what is your go-to when you want comfort in life? Let, let's say you're going through a particularly difficult season in life. Maybe it was a stressful day at the office. Where do you go to to find comfort? You know, maybe this is a, a situation where you're grieving the loss of a loved one, or maybe a friend has betrayed your trust in some way. Where do you go for comfort? What is your go-to? When your heart is grieving, when you're stressed, when it's painful, where do you turn? Let me just let you a little bit into my life and where I really enjoy turning when things are a little bit tough. Now, and I think this stems a little bit from my childhood, but when it comes to trying to fill some voids or finding some comfort in my life, my go-to is food. I, I love food. For me, food is more than fuel. Food is an art form. Like, I, I love cooking. I love eating. And the last part, the eating part, I'm actually really good at. I don't know if you can tell. I am good at eating. But I think it stems from my childhood. And I think it's kind of the southern roots that, that I have. Now, I'm from northwest Indiana, so the, the greater Chicago area. But a lot of my family have roots in eastern Kentucky. So my, mom, my, my mom's dad was from eastern Kentucky, and my dad's mom was from Eastern Kentucky. So both sides of the family, I have some Southern roots. Southerners, not sure if you're aware of this, love to eat. So when it comes to social gatherings, food is a part of the equation. That was my childhood. When we would get together with our family every Sunday, we'd go to my grandmother's house. There would be food there the entire day. We would just kind of cycle through. It would just be an open buffet for eight hours. Like that's the, that's the, the way that I grew up. When we had someone over for a visit at my house, there was two things you could count on. There would be some kind of food and there would be coffee. Like that was just what was served. Now, even today as a 36-year-old man, when I'm coming home from work or I'm coming home from the gym or whatever it might be and my wife is cooking something, I just love the aroma that I, that I smell coming into my house. It takes me back to my childhood. I find comfort in that. Now, let me be clear about this. I find comfort in this, but there's a sinful side to this as well. Because oftentimes I can sense myself saying, man, I feel a little bit stressed. I need a piece of apple pie. What should my go-to? I should find comfort in Christ. I find comfort in food. That's just a little bit into my life. So I'd be curious to see how those conversations go. But think about what is your go-to when life is stressful? What is this place of comfort? You know, it's no secret. There are literally thousands of avenues that will provide temporary comfort for us in our life. Food is mine. Maybe yours is the acceptance of others. Maybe yours is time on the internet. Maybe yours is just time looking at and shopping. Or There's a lot of different avenues. The list really is endless. And as we look at this portion of the Upper Room Discourse, the disciples, as we'll see, they're clamoring for the same thing. They want to be comforted. They want some of this pressure that they're feeling to be relieved in their life. And they're hearing some hard truths from Jesus about the reality that he is going to die. And even more, after the resurrection, he was also to ascend and physically leave them. But not only this, Jesus also reveals that the ruler of this world is coming, referring to the influence of Satan over the betrayer, Judas. And listen, Judas is responsible for his actions in betraying Jesus, but Satan has successfully tempted him into taking 30 pieces of silver in offer of Christ. And Jesus is telling them these hard truths. So in the minds of the disciples, Jesus was going and they're going to be alone. 
So Jesus is now speaking. He's, he's stepping into this space, and he says, hey, fellas, this is how you're going to find comfort. This is how you're going to find some peace in your life. And the, the exact verse that, that Fritz quoted moments ago, this is exactly what we're going to be reading about tonight. And so we're going to spend some time in verses 15 through 17 in the book of John, chapter 14, then also 25 through 31. Listen to these words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things, this is verse number 25, these have, things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So before I take some time to ring out a few of these passages, I want to take us back to verse 27. I feel like that's the linchpin in the whole conversation here. When Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the peace that I provide to you is nothing like the world will ever provide for you. So as much as I the love, the comfort of food, as I confessed to you a little while ago, it cannot provide the same type of comfort that Jesus is promising to his disciples and what we experience as believers right here, right now. And as much as you find comfort in the things that you choose to find comfort in, it does not compare to what Jesus is promising. So what exactly is Jesus promising then? He's promising the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Listen, not only does the Holy Spirit play the role of comforter, which he most certainly does, there are other roles that he plays as well. And many of them are contained in the name that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit in this part of the Upper Room Discourse. He calls the Holy Spirit a paraclete. Now, the, the definition of this name means to come to one's aid. That's what paraclete means. It has actually several different usages, and we see this throughout Scripture. The paraclete can mean advocate. Paraclete can mean intercessor and counselor, comforter, and helper. And while all these describe the role of the Holy Spirit, that's certainly not an exhaustive list. And so before we take some time to, again, work through a little bit of these roles, I just want to take a minute to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit and build just a small theology, just a working theology for us of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do this in a couple of different points. The first point that I want to make regarding the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about what the Holy Spirit is not. What the Holy Spirit is not. Because I think there are many viewpoints regarding the, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Now listen, some believe the Holy Spirit to be an impersonal force. 
Right? He's just kind of, the, the Holy Spirit is not so much a who, but a what that kind of floats around the earth, influencing people in different ways. It's, a, it's an impersonal force that, that kind of sways and influences other people. Some believe that the Holy Spirit is just an emotion that one feels. If I have a, an emotion of tears, I feel very happy, that is what the Holy Spirit is. So it's not so much a who, but a what. Now, both of these these viewpoints of the Holy Spirit are false, and if not guarded against, could easily lead into some kind of heresy. So first we need to say the Holy Spirit is not a what, he is a who, he is a person. And this is, of course, very different than what you learned from the Star Wars saga, right? Because what, did, what was the, the common theme in uh, Star Wars? May the force be with you. Some believers have actually said that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a force that moves among us and influences us. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. That's not who he is. And, I, and the reason I bring this up is in my last church prior to moving here, this was my last Sunday at my last church before moving to Highland, and there was a guy from the church, very well-meaning. We, we actually got along great with their family, had dinner many times. I was their, their student's youth pastor, had a great relationship with the family. But the father comes up to me on my last Sunday and says, Isaiah, may the force be with you. That's what he says to me on my way out. Now, I knew what he meant, but his language was way off base because the Holy Spirit is not a what, he is a who. Now, I think when we view the Holy Spirit as a what or a force or an emotion, I think it does a couple of things. First of all, I think it degrades the personhood of the Holy Spirit. It degrades the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Second, I think it promotes some kind of universalism rather than the exclusivity of Christ. And the reason I bring this up, as I said, is because I've actually had someone say this to me in my Christianity. And this kind of leads me to point two. So the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. And in fact, this is point number two, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Scripture teaches us in multiple places that the Holy Spirit is God, the divine person, the third person in the Trinity. And as the third person of the Trinity, the, the Spirit has the same essence as God the Father and the Son and possess, possesses the same attributes. And really one of the key texts that we see the Holy Spirit as God is in Acts chapter 5. And this is when Peter is having a very difficult conversation with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to what Peter says in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but you have lied to God. Notice that Peter says in verse three, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in the bottom part of verse four, you have lied to God. It's a clear text that the Holy Spirit is God. Another portion of scripture where we see that the Spirit being a part of the Godhead is in the Great Commission. We talked about that yesterday in our Mission Sunday, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, where Jesus in his Great Commission says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So again, Matthew mentions the Holy Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as one. The Holy Spirit is God. So it's not a what, he's a who, and this who is God. 
And now that we have built a little bit of uh, what, or, or what the Holy Spirit does or who he is, I want to talk a little bit more in detail of some of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Let me just talk for a few moments about some additional roles into what we've already mentioned today. And while the Spirit has the same essence and attributes of God the Father and God the Son, he still has roles unique to himself. For example, the Holy Spirit seals believers with his indwelling. We read this in Ephesians chapter 1. He gives believers spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit also glorifies Jesus. He does this in a couple of different ways. He does this by regenerating sinners to spiritual life by his power. This Holy Spirit also glorifies Jesus by working in the lives of his followers, bringing them into sanctification, building them into disciples so that they may also be disciple makers. So not only do we see a clear, clear roles of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, I think the Old Testament is also very clear about some of his roles in the Old Testament as well. We see the Old, the Old Testament Holy Spirit uh, or the whole Holy Spirit moving in different ways in the Old Testament. He moves in a variety of ways. The earliest record of the Holy Spirit bringing about the will of the Father is in creation as he is hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit also moved upon those who held the office of the priest for the ministry of Israel as they would encourage Israel, as they would rebuke Israel. He imparted special power to the judges as they were leading and uh, delivering Israel in those, in those time periods. He would empower individuals to exercise strong, wise, governmental leadership. And then he carried along the prophets as they were even penning scripture as he, they, he impressed upon them. So here we have the, the Holy Spirit moving in a variety of ways, impressing his presence and power in a variety of ways. We see this in Old Testament. We see this in the, the New Testament as well. So what does this have to do with the upper room discourse? Let's circle back there for a moment. But let's get back to the moment in the upper room, when, uh, the upper room discourse when Jesus is telling his disciples that God the Holy Spirit will be sent by Christ, the paraclete, to be a helper, advocate, comforter, counselor. And what I want us to do, I, don't, I want us to feel the weight of this moment in history. Listen, the disciples are scared about what is about to come. The prince of the world is coming. Jesus is going to die. Peter is going to deny. Judas is going to betray. In the deepest of dark days in the life of Christ, he shares with them, fellas, this is what's going to happen, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Because listen, not only is Jesus going to rise from the dead, but the ruler of this world, he's going to be stripped of his power, and soon after they will be filled with this Holy Spirit, the one who empowered judges, the one who was there at the creation of the world, the ones who moved, the one who moved upon the priests and, and, and imparted special power to the judges, the same spirit that carried along the prophets as they penned scripture. He was going to be living in them. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. No wonder Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Why? Because the Spirit is going to live in you. Jesus was clearly teaching that the paraclete will be their comforter and helper and will powerfully display this in their lives. In addition to the power that will soon fill them, 
Jesus even alludes to them that some of them are going to be those that write and pen Scripture. Notice what he says later on in verses 26 and 27. He says, I'm going to bring things to your remembrance that you may bear witness about me. That's what Jesus is saying. You will remember things and things will be brought to your attention. And historically, we have seen how this has been proven true. For instance, let's just take the Gospel of John, the book we are studying tonight. You know, most scholars believe that John was written sometime in the late first century, anywhere from 90 AD to 110 AD. Some say, such as Don Carson, who probably has the best commentary on the Gospel of John, says the Gospel of John was probably written somewhere in 80 AD. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but think about the time period where Jesus is speaking here. It's somewhere near 33 AD. So about 50 years prior to the Gospel of John actually being written and pinned down, Jesus is teaching this, and now John, with crystal clear clarity, is bringing, the Holy Spirit is bringing things to his mind as he is carried along by the Spirit. He's writing down Scripture. It's 50 to 60 years prior to this. He was able to recall with such clarity and precision because of the Holy Spirit. It's truly amazing. And Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be scared. Find peace. Find comfort because the one that I will send will do amazing things through you. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, what is interesting that a little later on in this discourse, Jesus says something a bit mind-blowing, almost a bit confusing. It's almost unbelievable that Jesus actually says to his disciples, in fact, it's actually better that I go. That is a bombshell moment. That is a bombshell moment. It's better that Jesus ascends. Now, for a second, put yourself in the place of disciples. You're in the upper room. Jesus just washed your feet. He's, he's explaining all these things. He's talking about the betrayer, and he says it's actually better. Let me ask another question. Would you rather have Jesus with you here physically or the Holy Spirit in you? Would you have the Holy Spirit in you, or would you rather have Jesus here present with you? This is, the, this is the question that was on the table for the disciples. And of course, I think most of us would probably say, I think I would rather have Jesus here physically with me. But Jesus says, it's more advantageous that I go. That's a bombshell. Like, that's so hard for our minds to, to wrap around. Jesus says, it's actually better that I go. This is what he says in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, put yourself just for a moment in that place of disciple. The grief is crushing. The rabbi, the friend, our, our Savior, he's going away. Confusion is pressing. And Jesus says, it's actually better that I go. That's, that's a hard truth to swallow. How is this better? Well, I think there are four suggestions as to why it's better to have the Spirit in us than Jesus with us here on earth. But before I dive into this, I wanted to say that the choice really isn't between Jesus absent or Jesus present. It's not really the choice. But it's between Jesus present bodily or Jesus present in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's really the choice. It's not absent or present. It's present in physically or present in the Holy Spirit. I love what one pastor said. He said, if... if if we think it would be better to have Jesus here physically with us now or that the disciples had an advantage over us today, we ignore the enormous blessing that has come through his exaltation in heaven. The choice is not between Christ present in body and Christ absent, but between Christ present in body and Christ present in the Holy Spirit. 
That's the choice. And Jesus is saying it's better that the Holy Spirit is in you. So let's look at a few reasons why it's better to have Jesus present with us in the Holy Spirit and why this brings us so much comfort. Number one is this. God the Spirit dwells within us forever. God the Spirit dwells within us forever. The paraclete, Jesus says, he will live in you forever. That's chapter 14, verse 15, right? He will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. So so one of the reasons it's better for Jesus to have ascended to the Father so that he could send the Spirit to indwell us forever. Think about it in contrast to what we find comforting. Think about it in contrast to the food that I consume every single day that brings me comfort. But guess what? I have to keep refilling it because it only brings comfort for the next hour and a half or so until I need my next meal or the next snack or the next donut or whatever it is that I choose to fill my belly with, right? It's, it's temporal. But Jesus says that the one that I will send, he will be with you forever. That's one of the great benefits why it's better to have Jesus present with us in the Holy Spirit. A second suggestion is this. Because the, the Holy Spirit is living in us and he has been sent by God the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit now convicts the world of sin and regenerates one's heart. That's a great benefit of having the Spirit with us. If Jesus doesn't die on a cross, rise again and ascend to the Father, the Spirit does not come. And if the Spirit does not come, then the, the world is completely hopeless. Notice what Jesus says in uh, chapter 16, verse 8. It says, when he comes, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That happens when Jesus and God the Father send him. And this word convict means to expose or to show one's guilt. And this is exactly what the paraclete does. And if Jesus does not ascend, then this cannot happen. We find deep comfort in, this, in the fact that the Holy Spirit exposes our sin. Jesus paid for salvation on the cross. He came to earth. He lived sinless. He died on a cross, rose again, ascended to the Father. But the Holy Spirit exposes that sin. We find salvation through Christ alone. But, you know, in addition to exposing our sin, revealing the brokenness of our heart, the Holy Spirit also regenerates us. That means he moves us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We can't do that on our own. That's through the Holy Spirit. I think Titus says it best in chapter 3 when he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? Just complete misery. This is who I was before Christ. I hated people that hated me. I was nothing but had anger in my heart, envy towards others. That was my story. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of work done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. How do we find regeneration and renewal? By the Holy Spirit. Verse number seven, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, again, Christ accomplished the work of salvation by living sinlessly, dying on a cross, rising again on the third day. This is the price of salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us alive, thus applying the, the benefits of Christ's redemption to us. This would not have been able to happen if Jesus is present with us bodily. 
Please keep in mind, though, there will come a day, and it could happen at any moment, when Jesus will return, and we will be with him forever. We will see him face to face. But until that moment comes, Jesus says, it's better that I go find deep comfort in the reality that the Spirit is living in you. That's reason number two. The, world, the, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and regenerates us. A third reason why I believe it's advantageous for Jesus to go in the Spirit to indwell us is now we have spiritual gifts to bless other Christ followers. He gifts us with spiritual gifts. And if the Spirit does not indwell us, we don't have spiritual gifts to bless and edify the church with. But since he does, Christ followers, when they believe on Christ for salvation, are given at least, at minimum, one spiritual gift to use and bless and edify the church. We find comfort, whether we know it or not, we find comfort in the gifts of other believers, spiritual gifts of other believers around us. One example that comes to my mind is a church that I was worshiping at, not serving at. I was in school at this time. I was working in a machine shop full-time, going to school full-time, working through uh, my bachelor's degree at this point. And the, the church that we were worshiping at was a wonderful small church in our hometown, uh, just a couple of blocks away. We could walk to church. It was, it was really nice. We lived in a Leave it to Beaver-style town in, again, northwest Indiana. And it was great. But we didn't know a lot of people at this point of our time in this church. And so after one of uh, the Christmas Eve services, we were worshiping. We did the candlelight and singing. It was awesome. Went and saw some Christmas lights in a town 20 minutes from us called uh, Pulaski and came back home. And when we got home, there was a truck in our driveway they didn't recognize. Um, I wasn't too panicked because we kind of knew all of our neighbors. as the kind of town that it was. So I walked to the door. Uh, can't go to the back door where our driveway was. And I saw this, this guy. His name was Tyson. He had a big box of meat from a, from a hog that he just butchered. This was a, a small rural farming town. He just butchered a hog. So he wanted to bless uh, our family. So in this box was some meat that he just butchered, some crackers, some, some cards. Um, they were just blessing our family with kindness. Now, we didn't really know anybody. And they were just saying, hey, we, we love you guys. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us. We're grateful that you are part of the church. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. What were some of the spiritual gifts that he was showing? Number one, hospitality. Hospitality through the roof. It was amazing to feel so warm and invited to, some, uh, to someone else's church in our mind because we're still trying to get acclimated. But he said, you're part of the family. Thank you so much. The gift of mercy. He just, he just wanted to bless us with some food because he thought we might need some food for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, rather. We really didn't, but that, he didn't know that. He was exercising the gift of mercy, encouragement, the cards of just blessing our family, praying for your family. Thanks for being a part of our church family. I was blessed. I was comforted. I found peace because the Spirit was, was, was working in his heart, and he was exercising his spiritual gifts towards our family. We have it because the Spirit indwells us. Jesus said, it's better that I go. One of the reasons why is so we can exercise our spiritual gifts. And finally, I believe that one of the reasons this is, is so advantageous for us is we now, because of the Spirit working in us, have the ability to faithfully obey the commands of Christ. Because we cannot obey faithfully the commands of Christ without the work of the Spirit in us. And this kind of takes us full circle to our text, doesn't it? We go back to, to verse number 15. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, without the work of the Spirit, that is crushing because we're not good. It's hard to obey the commands of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit working in us, he empowers us to faithful obedience. 
That's how it's possible. It's the work of the Spirit in us. He empowers us to grow in love towards Christ. He empowers obedience to the commands of Christ. He empowers faithful devotion to Christ. We can't muster that up ourselves. That's the work of the Spirit. It's just not possible. It's the Spirit living in us. Jesus said it's better. It's better. I think we see at least four reasons why it's better. And so to end our time together, let me just offer one final takeaway. Some way that we can apply this to our life. It's pretty simple. Find deep comfort in the Spirit. Find deep comfort in the Spirit. Isaiah, you can't find comfort in apple pie. Find deep comfort in the Spirit. Find deep comfort in the Spirit. You can't find deep comfort in the friends you spend time with. Now, if they're using their exercise and their, ex- their spiritual gifts, you certainly can. But that comes from the gift of the Spirit. We can't find deep comfort in the things of this world, the money that's in our bank account, the promotion we get at work. We will pursue those things thinking that if I just get there, we try and level up, don't we? If I can just level up in my life, that'll bring me comfort. I've chased that. It does not work super well. Because once you hit that level, what's the next? I want to level up again. I got to beat this game, right? I want to keep promoting myself and, and pursuing that, whatever that next level is. Again, I'm not discouraging working hard and getting promotions. It's all great. But if the pursuit is comfort, it's, you're going to fall flat. It's not going to fill you. Find deep comfort in the spirit. Again, many things can do this for us, but they're temporal. They're never fully satisfying. This is only found in the spirit. Allow him to work. Allow him to speak. Allow him to move. Allow him to remind you. Allow him, even when you aren't sure which way to go next, know that he's already speaking on your behalf. And and Paul says in Romans 8, even when we don't know what to pray, he's intercessing for us before the Father with groanings too deep to understand. I don't even know what that means, but I like it. The Holy Spirit is, is speaking to God with groanings too deep for us. He's speaking on my behalf. Allow him to speak in your life. Allow him to move in our life. And to achieve this level of comfort in the spirit, there might be a couple of things that need to happen. Maybe repentance is required. Maybe repentance is required because maybe we've been trying to find our comfort in other things rather than the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's repenting for the times we've trusted, you know, uh, uh, what the world has to offer rather than him. It's, It's time we turn from those things and we turn towards Christ. Or maybe it's believing in Christ for the first time as Savior and Lord of your life. You know, maybe you're, you're chasing something. You're chasing that satisfaction. You're trying to level up in life. You're saying, if I can just work this, or maybe you're trying to earn God's favor. You know, if I come to England, I'll tell them, like, that's good enough. I got to be pleased. If I give, if I serve, if I do make a difference day, like, that's going to help. Now, I was at Make a Difference Day on Saturday. You guys rocked it. That was so much fun on Saturday. But that's not what gets us to heaven. That's what makes us believers. It's the Holy Spirit that moves us, regenerates us as we believe in Christ for salvation. And I pray that we find deep comfort in the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, because through him we can find this deep comfort. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you, peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe that he can give you the Holy Spirit. Believe that you can find comfort in him today. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for the Holy Spirit who indwells those who have called on Christ as Savior and Lord. God, I'm so grateful for this word, the, the powerful application that we feel. And, and Lord, I'm, I'm even grateful for the conviction of the Spirit that exposes my sin and, and moves me closer towards Christ. 
I'm grateful, God, that as Titus so well descriptive that once my life was didn't like people, people didn't like me, I was filled with malice and envy. But God, you have shown kindness towards me. God, you've given us Christ who died for our sins, took our place. He represents us in righteousness, and now the Holy Spirit makes us alive so that we can believe in Christ. And Lord, I just pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit moves on that heart, that they believe in Christ, they come to salvation in Jesus. God, if we've been placing and searching for comfort in other things other than the Spirit, I pray that this is a time of confession and repentance, where we're turning from our sins and turning towards Christ. And so, God, allow your spirit to move freely here tonight. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to spend some time in this part of the Upper Room Discourse. And God, may it glorify you. May we grow from it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.